This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Good to see you at church today. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Sunday is my favorite day of the week. I'm a church junkie. I just love church. And I love being here with you and being in the presence of the Lord and all of his people. That's truly the highlight of our week. And I just want to say welcome to those that are here for the very first time. Church, say hello and welcome to those that are here for the first time. Glad to have you at church today. My name is Landon. My wife Kelly and I have the great honor and privilege of pastoring this church, and we'd love to meet you very, very soon, and uh, we'd like to at least say hello to you and send you a letter, tell you thank you for coming, and and, uh, and just create that open path of communication with you and let you know what some of the next steps could be for you. So when you walked in the worship center door, some beautiful faces handed you a worship guide, and inside that worship guide was a connection card. If you wouldn't mind, between now uh, and the end of the service, fill that out, and on your way out, those same smiling faces will take that card from you in a little black bucket, and we'll reach out to you this week, and just thank you for coming, and, and offer some next steps to you uh, if you would choose to take them, and uh, at the end of the service, we'll have what we call response time. Well, the prayer team will be here, and you'll have an opportunity to come down and receive prayer and take some next steps, and uh, it's a beautiful time, and it's really my favorite part of the service because we are moving into uh, where the rubber meets the road at that point. And so be ready for that. It's coming up soon. And before we jump into the sermon today, after this service, we are doing Kids Camp Send-Off. We're sending 30 kids to camp today. Come on. It's going to be awesome. So after second service, just hang out, talk to some folks. If you'd like to stay around, what we do is we pray over these kiddos. Um, they're going to Camp Zeverage about two hours from here. That's why the vans are there and the pickup truck, and they're going to load up all those kids and volunteers and, and Purpose Kids staff, and they're going to head to, to kids' camp. Um, I got some kiddos going. It's going to be incredible. My daughter's sad she can't go. She's a teenager uh, in youth group. She can't go to kids' camp anymore. She's like, can I please be a fourth grader? I'm like, you acting like a fourth grader? You aren't even going to camp, though. Uh, so your kids are going to have a blast. They're going to have a ton of fun. And if you uh, do, are not even sending kids or whatever, that's fine. We want you to stay and send them out because we're going to bring all of them up here um, between 1230 and 1 o'clock. We're going to bring them up here. We're going to pray over them. And then we are all going to run outside and make the world's biggest soccer tunnel all the way to the vans. And then they're going to run through that tunnel and jump in the van. And then they are no longer your responsibility for the next four days. So it's going to be uh, an incredible time. So stay for that. And then next week, we just sent a bunch of teenagers to camp in Dallas uh, two weeks ago. They came back. Now the kids are going. So next Sunday is what we call Next Gen Takeover. Next Sunday, you'll see kids helping lead worship, greeting, running check-in, straight to chair. They're already serving in a lot of areas on the other side of the building, but you'll see them over here front and center, and it's going to be incredible. You're going to hear from them what God is doing in them. The Next Gen is not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. Somebody say amen to that. Let's jump into the content today. We've been in a series called Sent every summer. We go to summer school. Now, don't think of it negatively. I know summer school used to be punitive, but around here at the Purpose Church, it's a great time because we dig into a topic, one singular topic or a book or a book of the Bible for the whole summer. 
And we've been doing this series now for about two months, uh, for, for about seven, eight weeks, and then we're going to end it in a couple of weeks after Next Gen Takeover uh, with a sent service, a sending service. More on that next week. But we've been going through this book written by, uh, some of the content written by a husband and wife couple, and they are telling their story about how to live a, a, how to live a sent life, how to live a life that invites other people to Jesus. And we have learned the paradigm shift here that living a sent life, notice I didn't say a Christian life, living a sent life represents a fundamental identity shift and a new understanding of what it actually means to be a Christian. And it changes the definition. And since it changes the definition, we have uh, some new learning to do. And, you know, maybe you were like me and you grew up around church a lot, or maybe church is kind of new for you. Um, And from some of the people we just heard leaving first service, uh, we had probably half a dozen first-time families in first service, and some of them said, I haven't walked in a church in 25 years. God is up to something. Somebody give him praise for that. He's up to something. Only God can do that. God knows I don't preach good enough to keep anybody. So God is the one sending them here. He knows what he's doing. And we are learning, what is a Christian actually? What are we supposed to do with this? Is a Christian someone who just really doesn't want to go to hell because weeping, gnashing of teeth and all that sounds really bad. So I just really don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to get the pass go, do not collect $200, you know, you know get out of jail free card. I'm not going to do, I don't. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to do this Jesus thing, and I'm going to come uh, haphazardly, and I'll tip a little bit here or there, and I'll send my kids somewhere, I'll do this or whatever, but it's a different definition, and I'm going to explain even further today what a Christian actually is, and then you will be able to identify by the end of today, like, are, are, you, are you actually moving forward as a disciple, or have we been playing it? very, very safe. Because here's the the identity shift, that once you are saved, you are a sent person. You're not just saved to not go to hell. We say, we've been saying it this way, saved equals sent. Everybody say that out loud. One, two, ready to go? Hey, first service got you beat. I'll let you have a second try. One, two, three, ready to go? All right, we'll put this sermon on the podcast. Y'all are way more saved than first service. So this is going to be a mindset shift for a lot of you guys. Because a lot of us haven't learned that once we get saved, there's really anything for me to do. Like, I might help out the church if they need something or whatever, but like, no, no, no. This isn't about activity. This is about a paradigm shift. You are not in your neighborhood, your HOA, your job, your kids' schools, in that checkout line at HEB. You are not there by accident. You are there on purpose. You were sent to those moments. And today we're talking about something that honestly has been very difficult for me. And this is probably, no, I won't say probably, this has been the most difficult message to write in this series. And because it was very, it was very personal. And as we get into the content, I want you to have an open heart and an open mind as it's going to take that. Put your hand over your heart real quick. Let's just Kind of settle it. God, right now, would you open this thing up, even if it's hard right now? God, we know that we're going through some stuff, and, and we, we're just asking, God, that this heart and mind would be open, that we can hear the truth of the gospel, that, that we wouldn't be hard-hearted and reject it, that we wouldn't let a weed grow and kill it tomorrow, that, 
It will grow into a tree that shades generations. May it change our lives forever in Jesus' name. If you receive it, say amen. Uh, Last week, we're trying to teach the kids how to water ski, and so that's been interesting. I don't ski. Uh, I just drive the boat. Uh, Kelly's the water skier. Uh, she's the water sports gal. And so she's out in the water teaching the kids how to ski. But while before we, we got out to the middle of the lake, we're in Canyon Lake, and it's really low right now. And you can see trees sticking out of the water on certain parts of the lake. And of the 23 boat ramps on Canyon Lake, only three are open. Um, and so, you know, it's just kind of crazy out there right now. We're out at the lake, and we finally got to a place uh, where we could kind of, you know, hold off for a minute. And I got to get all the gear out. I got to get... Kelly skis out and, you know, get the tubes ready, get all the ropes and, you know, all of that stuff. Because as a dad, you're just a pack mule for everyone else's fun. So I'm getting all of that stuff together and getting it ready. And, um, and I said, hey, guys, because uh, at that time I checked my phone, it was 106 degrees in New Braunfels at that time. But on the lake, it was only like 95. It gets cooler down there. So, but it was still hot. I mean, it doesn't matter at that point, does it? It's just still hot. So I said, hey, kids, right now is your best time to jump in the lake. Y'all swim around a little bit while I'm getting everything ready. Well, you, you know, if you know my children, our oldest is the planner. She's got a planner for her planner, a checklist for their checklist. Um, and then Bradley is the daredevil. He'll do anything at any time. Uh, and Levi is the cautious one, very, very cautious. And he's always thinking through every possible doomsday scenario. And so uh, before I even was done explaining, I'm getting the, the ropes out and all that, Bradley's already in the water. He didn't even... Well, he, he was like, the boat stopped, that means I'm in. So he jumped in. He was like, boat stopped, motor off, I'm gone. He jumped in the water. He doesn't care how deep it is. He doesn't care that it was a little stained from the last, you know, can't see down too far. He just jumped right in. Uh, Kaylin, like, got everything ready that she had planned to bring and then, you know, jumped in the water. And then I look over there and Levi's standing, uh, you know, on the, on the deck of the, the, the ski deck. And he's just sitting there and he's like, he's looking around. And I said, hey, son, like, this is the time to do it. Like, if you don't want to get too hot later, like, get wet, get in the boat, let the wind keep you cool. Uh, he's, he's like, Dad, no, like, there, there's the trees over there. And, like, what if there's a tree right here? Like, I, like I, I, I can't do that. And I said, well, they did it. it like, like, just jump in. There's nothing there. They've proven to you there's nothing there. Uh, but he doesn't believe his brother or sister ever. So he's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I, and he kept saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I said, son, let me turn this on. So I turned on the depth finder. I said, hey, buddy, right here, it's, the lake is 84 feet deep where we're at right now. It's 84 feet deep. You're not going to hit anything. They, they don't, there are not trees that tall in Texas anyway. So even if there was a tree down there, it's not going to make it up here. Like, you're fine. I promise you, you're fine. He was very apprehensive for the dive. He did not want to dive in. And I said, just cannonball. He's like, no, because what if something hits me in the rear? I'm like, just cannonball. And I said, I said, well, just dive in head first. And he's like, no way. I'm like, son, come on. You can do this. You can do this. I said, hold, just, I'll tell you what. And then I, I dove in head first, came up, and I said, look, dude, everything is fine. It, it, everything is totally, totally fine. There was a level of apprehension there that kept him from getting in the water. And I wonder if you and I spiritually could look at this, because while we're out on the lake, and while it's 106 degrees, God's still talking to me about sermons. And I was sitting there like, this needs to be something they hear. And one of the things was diving in headfirst today. We're going to talk about what that does for you. And here's the dive-in question. So we're going to start, we're kind of flipping the sermon. We're going to go all the way to the end and work backwards today. Here's the question. Are you 
fully surrendered to Jesus Christ? Or is there a level of apprehension that is keeping you from experiencing the depth of what he has? Are you fully surrendered? Are you fully surrendered to Jesus? And we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about living a surrendered life. The phrase, I surrender, is demanding, is it not? It requires something. The phrase, is, this phrase is what God is listening for. It's what he's expecting. This is his perfect will for us. This surrender is what Jesus died for. Jesus did not die for us to have weekend spiritual events of which you're hoping the church does 90% of your stylistic preferences. Jesus died for us to be fully surrendered because surrender is largely thought of as a negative term and for good reason. You know, it's, 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 it's I surrender. I mean, Kelly and I are 90s kids. It's bad boys, bad boys. Oh, what you gonna do? I mean, we watch that show all the time. And, and the guys finally give up. They finally give up. I can't believe that show was ever a real thing. It's just ludicrous to think of now. It would probably be too crazy to put on TV now. But I remember thinking, I was thinking back to that. I was like, all the surrender. It's like, I, I, fine, I give up, I give up. And, and as disciples of Christ, however, it's not a term of defeat. It's actually the foundation of true living. Surrender is the beginning, not the end. So it's different in Christianity. In fact, the Bible says that a lot of stuff in here is going to confound everybody. If you're first, if you want to be first, you're last. If 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 you if you want to if you want to be given, you got to give. It doesn't make a lot of sense in the way we think, and especially um, when it talks about our time and our treasure and our talents. It just it's hard for us to comprehend. But surrender is the foundation. And look at this definition of surrender. I just. Uh, ripped this off of a couple of uh, dictionaries online, is to give oneself up to the power of another. Give oneself up to the power of another. And then the, Merriam-Webster says to cease, resi- to cease resistance. To cease resistance. See, when we live a surrender life, we are modeling our lives after Jesus Christ himself. So if we don't live a surrendered, a completely surrendered life, if we don't live a completely surrendered life, then we are not modeling our lives after the Savior, after the King. Look at this in John 6. If you're following along on the screens or uh, a paper Bible or the YouVersion Bible app, our sermon notes are there every single week. You can save them, share them, um, write notes in it, send it to a friend. Here's the verse. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, and purpose, but to do the will and purpose of him who, say the next word out loud, sent me. The voice translation says, and here's the reason. I've come down from heaven not to pursue my own agenda, but to do what he desires. I am here on behalf of the Father who sent me. If you're taking notes, number one, surrender is a choice. It is a choice. First and foremost, it is 100% a choice. No one can force you to cry uncle. It is a choice. 
Surrender is a choice. And you might be thinking, well, that's, that, that's not true, or, you know, I, there was something that I was forced into. When we're talking about spiritually, surrender is a choice. Not everyone, though, in this room has to surrender the same things. Only you know what you need to surrender. You know what God has been dealing with you about. You know what God has been talking to you about. Surrendering your striving to pay for your own sin through your works alone and receive the free gift of salvation, the free gift of grace is a choice. Then, there's another side to the coin, surrendering and submitting to a king is the next choice. So there are two choices every human being has to make. Am I going to surrender to Jesus as my Lord and Savior or try to do it myself? And most people will say, yeah, I really don't want to go to hell. That free gift sounds great. You know, I'll do it. And we treat church like a time share presentation, like, okay, I'll sit through this as long as I don't go to hell and get a TV. But the second choice is what most people don't make, making Jesus their king. We all have this choice. Number two, surrender is not easy. Somebody said amen to that. <laughs> Surrender's not easy. Submission is not easy. It's the giving up. Why? Because it's the giving up of your right. It's the giving up of an attitude, a hold, a desire. It's the giving up of an opportunity. Surrender is not easy. When Jesus was in the last hours of his life, he was sitting around the table with his disciples, and a lot of people think this was a beautiful scene. Take a look at it. A lot of people think this was beautiful, that they're just sitting around, and they're, they're having small group. Look at this, the sunlight behind Jesus. I mean, it's like that's, that, we're like, this, this was it. I mean, it's like, forget the fact that everything's about to happen the next day. Forget about all that right now. It is the best dinner party anyone's ever been to, and Jesus is hosting it. We think it's beautiful, but it wasn't beautiful. In the spiritual sense of the, the thing, Jesus is setting up the stage, and it was a very, the way we draw it is a beautiful picture, but it was actually the beginning of the anguish of Christ because it was the pre-scene to the most egregious thing humanity's ever done to a human being. But it was also the pre-scene in the Bible to the most beautiful prayer in all of the Bible, in my opinion. And inside that prayer is the most powerful word in all of the Bible, next to the name of Jesus, the most powerful word in all of the Bible, in my opinion. And it's only three letters long. Take a look at Luke 22, 39 through 42. This is after the Last Supper. He came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, guys, I need you to pray that you won't enter into temptation. And then he walked away about a stone's throw, and then he knelt down and began to pray. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What does that mean? I really don't want to go through this level of pain. I, the humanity of Christ was on full display. He knows what's coming, 
and he knows that there's going to be people in Shirts, Texas, talking about it 2,000 years later, and still his humanity was like, I, this is going to hurt so bad. God, if there be any other way, can you change the plan? Have you thought about this? How many times have we asked God that? Have you thought about this, God? I got a better idea. Like, if there is another way, if, if you are willing, remove this cup of suffering from me. Yet, everyone say yet. Not my will, but yours be done. In the Living Bible, it says, but I want your will, not mine. The message paraphrased by Eugene Peterson says, but please, God, not what I want. What do you want? The most powerful word in the Bible is yet or nevertheless. What do you want? See, Jesus was dealing with his humanity in that moment, and we see the intense decision of that surrender. At the most critical moment of his life, he's asking God, if it be your will. So this is a very, imagine a circumstance of life you're in, and it's a circumstance you don't want to be in. And just think back, like you, you've been through some stuff. And in the most serious moments of, of life that you've been through, did you pray the prayer? Not what I want. What do you want? He was willing to ask the Father for his desire, not just bring all of his desires to God and say, can you do that, please? Jesus was paramountly willing to tell God, but whatever it is you want, that's what I want. For a general, this means defeat. But for a follower of Jesus, it means absolute victory. So when was the last time you prayed in your prayer time, God, I completely surrender. Lord, I want to fully surrender. And as I was getting ready for today, I decided to ask, ask God, like, what is going on? I paused right here. I stopped typing and kind of took the rest of the day. I just shut the computer, took the rest of the day and prayed to myself, God, I, if there's anything hidden, like, I, I wanted to make sure, God, that there was nothing inside, nothing controlled. I, I want to fully surrender. It's one thing to say I'm living this Christian life and I'm trying to do good. I'm trying this. I'm trying that. Do you hear I, 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 me, me, me? And for a lot of you that are coming out of the Catholic Church, it's a works-based gospel that is contingent on your salvation being about you being good. That is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus loves you as much right now as he will ever love you, even if you don't perform. He can't love you anymore. Here's, a, here, here's another thing. Nothing you will ever do will impress Jesus. He is not impressed by you. He made you. He knows that you have the propensity to do that. He knows that it was going to be hard, but he knows that when you're fully surrendered, he sees a heart like David's. So if you're struggling with this, I'm trying this, I'm trying that, why don't we try true gospel, which is grace-based? 
Now, that doesn't mean you don't grow, but somebody who is fully surrendered to God says, I'm completely surrendered. You are my all in all. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all. You're already thinking it. Many people trust Jesus as their Savior, but he doesn't have all of them. Because they've not trusted him as their Lord and King. It's about coming to a place of surrender. They've not come there. When they get saved, it's about forgiveness of sin. And what an amazing miracle it is. Amen, where all the saved people at. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that you don't have to pay the debt of your sin on your own. But what about the other side of that? Jesus is speaking to God in his last moments and says, yet, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. When is the last time you prayed that prayer? Not my will, but your will be done. When is the last time when you got a job offer and you're evaluating the job offer, you said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It might be God's next step for you. It might actually be the best distraction that'll hurt your marriage and take you from your kids and your church. Nevertheless, I've known some of you in this room, even right now, you started living a values-based life and living a sent life, and then as soon as we start talking about being values-based and living sent, you get the job offer of a lifetime. That would have taken you out of church most of the year, kept you out of small group, and you would have hardly seen your kids. And you told them no. And then guess what happens? You got a raise equivalent to the new job and got to keep the same job you got. God knows what he's doing. We can't do anything that jeopardizes our ability to live a sent life because America's form of progress is not the kingdom's form of progress. When was the last time you said, Lord, open up the closets of my life and see everything? It's a King David type prayer. Search me and know me. See if there be any wayward way in me. And redeem me and bring me into life everlasting. When was the last time you said, God, I'm opening it all up? And let's be sure that when I close this door, there's nothing left in there. It is truly the beautiful beginning of the life that you were created to live. So surrender's a choice, and it's not easy. Because after surrender, you don't know what's coming next. I always want to know what's coming next. I, I like to control outcomes. I want to make sure that things are moving in the right direction. It's difficult for me sometimes to back off and, and let it happen and, and have these moments of surrender is personally difficult for me. But then I found out, point number three, full surrender is the only way to live a sent life. You can't be sent without surrender. You cannot be sent without surrender. And I remember when this shift began for me. Kelly and I bought our first home when we were 22. It was off of 1604 in Judson. We lived in that little house for nine years. 
Kelly was a high school English teacher at Madison High School, and I was a youth and worship pastor and later executive pastor at this church. And um, That house felt huge when we bought it, and then we put kids in it, and they turned into a closet. It felt tiny. They took over the house. It was so fun. And when we left that house and moved here, was a God thing that we were able to move out to shirts. We've always wanted to live out here and felt connected here and didn't really know why when we moved here. So we moved from Dallas and had to drive right through shirts and felt like we just like it out there. It was just like a thought we had for almost a decade. And when we left that house, I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever cried so hard in my life. That was hard. So many memories and so many, you bring babies home to a certain house, you know, you bury dogs in that backyard, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's like there's a lot of memories there, but one of the memories, some of the memories there were the spiritual ones. There were dozens of teenagers baptized in that hot tub, of which I miss dearly. Tons of small groups, parties, meetings. One of the, the memories that hit me the most about that house was during a, a time in my life where things were starting to, you know, I was, I was really trying to figure out like what that discontent was. And, and, and I was, back then, let's just say productivity was my God. Getting things done was my God. And fast-paced, multitask decision-making was my drug of choice. And man, it, it wasn't like a sniffet. I had an IV. And if, if, if you gave me a task to do, I was gonna get it done better than anyone else, twice as fast as anyone else. So a lot of pride involved in that. My calendar was full. Kelly was teaching at Madison and she had 185 students and English teachers. You got it hard. Math teachers, you got it easy. You just scan a Scantron. She had to read them all. And I was like, if I was had your job, everybody gets an A. I ain't reading that. You know they plagiarized it anyway. I ain't reading that. And I so busy. I filled up every moment of every day. My job was my God. Productivity was my God. Being Having a full calendar was like crack to me. I'd wake up and go, ooh, it's going to be a good productive day. And that was what felt good. And I didn't have time for interruptions. And I was real edgy as a personality. I didn't have time for interruptions and I didn't have time for anything to mess up my calendar. I didn't have time for interruptions. I didn't have time for people, which basically means I didn't have time for God to use me. My neighbor and I began to, it just ended up this way. Have, have you ever had these moments where like, we gotta stop meeting like this. Like we ended up at the curb with the trash cans twice a week at the same time every week. And I began to think, are you watching me? Like, why are you scuffling out of the house as soon as I, and I, because that's how cynical and frustrated I was because he wanted to talk every time. And you know how you dudes are when you're just like doing your thing, you're like, like when you, when you don't want to talk, you're like, stop. You just, do, you just do the chin check, head nod. And I was trying to do that and it didn't work. And I didn't even care that this guy knew what I did for a living. There was like, that's how much pride there was. I didn't care. I had stuff to do. I'm taking the trash out to the curb and 
were there every time, over and over and over. And at that neighborhood, the mailboxes were between the houses, and there were two mailboxes on one pole. There weren't clusters, so we're getting our mail at the same time. So three times a week, at a minimum, I'm seeing this guy at the curb. Conversations developed, and I was struggling internally because talking to him was not on my Evernote list that day. It was not in my Google task sheet that day. His name was not in my Apple to-do list that day. And I didn't want to talk. I'm not much for small talk. I'm not good at it. Like, I just want conversations to go real deep, real fast, or, you know, it gets boring. Like, I just, I'm not good at small talk. Some of you guys are. It's a gift you have. Praise God. You need to help me. But I'm not good at it. I'm like, so, how's the kids? And I'm trying, like, in something that I've had to learn and develop because I realized I wasn't good at any of that small talk because I didn't care what they had to say. It's not the case anymore, even though I'm still not the best conversationalist. It's just, it's different now. I began to feel conviction. I didn't want to talk, and I began to feel so frustrated. I'm like, obviously, this is not godly, something I'm not feeling okay, and I leaned in just a little to the conversation. And this tug, this conviction turned in to multiple conversations that went deeper and deeper. And eventually he and his family came over for dinner. We went over their house for dinner. And still to this day, the best Spanish rice I've ever had in my life. Their kids knew our kids. Our kids knew their kids. They would just dig holes under the fence and come play and like dogs. Our kids would go under the fence and he and I began to develop a friendship and we began to talk more and more and it turned spiritual. And you know, I'm ashamed to tell you that at that point in my life, even though I grew up in church and had preached a lot and led worship a lot, that the amount of people that I have personally talked to about God could fit on one hand. And he and I began to talk about what the Lord's doing. And he said he was an altar boy in a Catholic church and, but, and went to CCD, did all of that stuff. And some of y'all are twitching right now because you're having like PTSD from, from it. And, but he didn't, even, he didn't know anything about the gospel. He didn't know anything about Jesus. And his wife wasn't, you know, church, had just kind of went to mass with grandma twice a year just to keep her quiet. They didn't know Jesus at all. So I began to tell him just the simple gospel of Jesus. And he was like, that can't be real. Nobody would do that for somebody. I was like, well, why don't you come to church with me? And he came with me uh, to a Saturday night service we were having. And uh, that night, he went down to the altar and received salvation gave his life to Christ. And I was just over the moon. I was just, I just was so, so happy. And after that church service, he and I went to uh, Whataburger, because that's where you go for spiritual things. Because Chick-fil-A wasn't open. And we go to Whataburger and we're talking and he's just telling me more about their marriage and more about the abuse he had endured as a child the abuse from a priest he had endured as a child. 
I began to just tell him, I was like, whatever it is, God wants to heal it. You're not here accidentally. I had no clue. I was telling him the pitch for our church, and I didn't even have one yet. I said, man, let's just walk this thing out. Your best days are ahead of you. The next day, his family came over. We hung out, barbecued. She made more heaven rice. You know, and I, I grilled out, and they came and just hung out, and I was like, man, this could, this is going to turn into something beautiful. And then the next morning, we hear banging on our front door. We go to the door, and it's his mother-in-law. And they found him that morning. He had taken his life. The police found him. And his identification was on him, and they came, and there were cops everywhere. And, and not only did he take his life, he took it in a very uh, brutal way, and I was so mad, I was so angry, I was so confused. And then I began to think and wonder, like, what if I had said no? What if I had said no? And I did not know that this guy had a mental health battle going on, stemming from his abuse from that priest. So for those of you that were raised Catholic and you think suicide is unforgivable, that is not true. Something a pope made up, it is not true. And he came to church and gave his life to Christ and I believe that he wanted to know Jesus genuinely. I could see it in his eyes and I knew he wanted Christ. As we sat there and had a hamburger, we just were talking about Jesus and he was sitting up a little taller and then was gonna bring his kids and his wife to church and the devil's such a coward. He comes at night when you're alone. And I began to just think about this story as I got ready for today that, Lord, I'm, I told him, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry I fought you so long. Thank you for using me so Marcus could be in heaven with you. The people that God have you around, you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know what's happened to them in their past that has created a physiological connection that is producing chemicals and hormones they weren't meant to live with for that long. That is a debilitating disease that they need help getting out of, not some psycho Christian screaming prayers at them. They need real help, but if they don't feel like they're in a safe place to get it, they take matters into their own hands. This is a safe place for you. whatever you're going through will help you because you were created on purpose for a purpose to make an eternal difference in the world. See, a sent life requires complete surrender. And it was sobering to me, God, how many times have I told you no? How many times have I just said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not talking to that cashier. I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to have this conversation. God, I'm not, I'm not going to step out. I, I re, listened to this sermon from a man named Ron Hutchcraft from 1999. Look at this quote. 
do you know why you are where you are? Do you know who you are? God has made you the way he made you to save many lives. It is your destiny. In this incredible moment, God has positioned you to save many lives. So you may struggle with this type of surrender living. I did, and I sometimes still do. It's not easy for me, even now. It's still hard for me to invite people to church. It's still hard, and I preach the most. It's still difficult for me. It's, it's, it's something I have to crucify the flesh for that. It's hard. But when you live a sent life and you're dying to yourself daily, there's a power in you greater than your personality. And once you see how God can use you, it is near impossible to go back to self-focused, self-preservation. It's near impossible to go back to safe living. Let's continue the quote from that sermon. The problem is that if we just continue to go, and in my mind I heard, and go, and go, and go, and go, productivity addict, we will continue to lose our neighbors and our friends to the powers of darkness. Because while we have built the largest Christian subculture in the history of the world, we can go to our church meetings and services, go to our beautiful buildings, and while we're saying we are winning, we just lost our culture. This is post-Christian America. This was in 1999 before people could think they could be animals. This was before that, before Y2K. He says, if we just keep doing what we've been doing, we will leave most of our generation unreached for Jesus Christ. And I believe that there are many people who have in their hearts a deep restlessness, and I've sensed it. We sense it. We sense the restlessness and to have the gravity and that healthy weight of living a sent life, to live completely surrendered. May we have a collective restlessness in our hearts. May we have a personal restlessness. In, in, in other terms, a holy discontent. May we have this restlessness in our soul that, God, you put me here for a reason, and I am not satisfied any longer to watch our schools go down the road they're going. I'm not satisfied any longer by just walking through the neighborhood or being at the pool or being on sports teams or doing whatever and people don't even know that I'm a disciple of Christ. I am not satisfied any longer to live the kind of life that lets people stay in darkness. May we have a collective restlessness as a church that we're living a sent life, that our minds have been transformed by the renewing 
of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is changing our mind and it's dropping 18 inches and it's changing our heart. And when that happens, it changes where your feet go. It changes where your hand goes. It changes what your mouth says because the fact of the matter is if you've been saved by grace through faith, you have died to yourself. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. This is not your mouth. It's his. These are not your hands. They're his. These are not your feet. They're his. That's not your house. It's his house. That's not your neighborhood. That's his neighborhood we can have a collective restlessness and be able to tell the devil, not on my watch. That our minds are open to the fact that when a new neighbor moves next to you, you're thanking God that he decided that you're thanking God that he loves them so much, he put them right next to you. It's a mindset shift, but if if you're just a Christian that just attends once a month, There's no deep relationships and the only people you see are your boss and your kids and your family and you have no one else around you, no one challenging you, no one helping you, no one raising you up. If you're so busy that your spirituality has hit the tank, you're not a sent, surrendered person. There are people God's putting in your pathway, but you just can't see them. There's a gravity to the call of living a sent life. In this incredible moment, God has positioned you and me at this point in history, in that neighborhood, in that apartment complex, at that job. Surrender's not easy. It's very uncomfortable. But it's the only way to experience heaven on earth. It's the only way to be a full part of God's plan on earth. God desires to include you in his plan. And once I got this message in my spirit personally, I knew I had to live a sent life. Did I get it perfect every time? No. Did I still tell God no after that day? Yeah. I preached Marcus's funeral. And it was just a memorial because he was not able to be there. The thing that kept going through my mind was what was going through his mind when he jumped off that bridge? I'm looking out at his family and none of them, none of them knew Jesus. Still to this day in ministry, one of the hardest things I've ever done is that funeral. And I began to tell the family, I said, I didn't know him very long, but here's what I do know about him. And I just began to tell them how our conversation started with our love for the Dallas Cowboys and how that turned into a conversation about how hot it is. That turned into a conversation. And I just began to tell them all I knew about him. And then I told them about the day he came. And I told them about how I saw a grown man weeping, going down to the altar because he wanted to change. He wanted a new life. And then I just went right at it and I said, I know a lot of you think you're Catholic. He is not in hell. And they all began to cry. And I'm telling you right now, the stakes of living a comfortable American Christian life are too high. changed my life forever.
In the same sermon by Ron Hutchcraft, he said this. I want you to look at this picture while I read the quote. Just stare at the picture. He says, I've never known anyone who was rescued by a rescuer who chose comfort. You cannot rescue dying people from a safe place. If you follow Jesus, you'll find yourself in a sea of lost people and you will lay down your life for them. Jesus says to us, I am coming to rescue them and I am sending you. Jesus is inviting you to live a sent life for the rest of your life. Levi finally jumped in the water. Finally jumped in. We've been on the lake for an hour. He finally jumped in. I dove in, showed it to him. We drove to another part of the lake. I showed him the depth finder. I jumped in. Took about two or three times. He finally jumped in and he dove in head first. And the thing that gets me the most about that story. I'm in the, the driver's seat of the boat and, and I hear, Daddy, Daddy. And I turn around, I look at him. And he says to me, watch this, Daddy. I'm gonna do it. And he dove in head first and he came up, and the first thing he said was, this feels so good, because it was 100,000 degrees. And in that moment, I just was thinking about how brave he was. And then I started thinking about it for today, and I was like, he, he saw me go first. Jesus has gone before you as a sent person as a fully surrendered person to the Father. It's already been modeled. He saw me go first, and, and he knew that Daddy was behind the wheel and that I'm not going to take off and leave him in the lake, that I'm not going to turn the boat on and he's, he's not going to get hurt. He knew Daddy was behind the wheel and that we were anchored down. And when he dove in head first, it wasn't as bad as he thought it was going to be. And he said it felt good. When you, when you dive into all that God has for you, it's refreshing because you have been trying it in your own power for too long. And your self-will and determination is running out. And when you dive in as a sent person and you're saying, I'm fully surrendered, may we have that same mindset that we're on the edge and we're, we're looking down. I even prepped him for it. He had a life jacket on. I got my baby ready. He was equipped. He was ready to go. He was sunscreened up. He was ready to go. And then he says, Daddy, look at me. I'm going to do it. And he came up, and then we couldn't stop him from diving in head first. He was the first one in the water. He even beat Daredevil Bradley to the water. He was the first one. Once you experience that depth of Christ, you will never settle for average, lukewarm church attendance and Christianity. Once you realize that your life 
is a saved life, which means it's a sent life. Your neighborhood looks different. H-E-B looks different. Baseball looks different. Soccer looks different. Road trips look different. Dinner parties look different. The pool looks different. The neighborhood looks different. Everything changes because you are a sent person. Nothing else matters or will even satisfy once you taste the depth of Christ like that. You can't go back. Because there might be a Marcus in your life right next door to you and you don't know what they're going through. They fake it really good when they're walking their dog, but you have no clue the depth of pain. And you'll never know unless you say yes and stop the chin checks and lean in. It's refreshing to do things God's way. Everybody stand to your feet. And I ask you this question. Are you fully surrendered to Jesus? What are you still clinging to? Is there something in your will that you haven't surrendered? It's different for everybody, what our will is wanting and attached to. what's funny is even when you're pastoring a church they're like they're that old mindset and addiction tried to come back with a vengeance because we have goals and we got to hit this and we got to hit that and you know we won't be a real church unless we're at a thousand people by tomorrow and all of these things that magazines tell you is church success and Some of you ask me why I'm not on the internet. It's because I can't be. (laughs) Because I know I can't go there. And it was about two years ago, I had another surrender moment where I told God, I don't care anymore about what these people are telling me is success and what percentage of growth it is. God, if you want me to pastor these 300 people for the rest of my life, fine. That was a hard prayer for me. Because God does what he wants to do. He either you're his people, not mine. It's his church, not mine. And it changes the game. And the word that I told Jesus, and I have to say this to myself every day, is God help me see who is right in front of me today. Who is right in front of me right now? Who's right in front of me today? That's all. That's my only job today. Who's right in front of me? That was a came from a surrender moment. It was hard to get to. And I want to ask you this question. Can you honestly say to the Lord, as best as I know in my heart, God, there's nothing hiding in there and I'm totally surrendered to you? That pride, that frustration, that, that drive, that addiction, that mindset, that hidden sin, God, I'm fully surrendered. Can you say, I yield my will to you? Can we honestly say we want full surrender? For some of us, our first surrender is making Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. That's the first choice. And your, the prayer team will be down here in a minute, and you will be able to come down and receive prayer. And you can come down and tell them, I want to make the first choice. I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. 
and they will pray a prayer of faith with you and your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life and your name erased from hell's roster. Come on, somebody. That's why we're here. And then for all of us in the room, there's the second choice to come down to the front and tell them, I'm giving my life back to Christ and I want to fully surrender to him as my Savior and my King. Because the definition of the word, the word yield is being willing to confess, being willing to repent, which the word repent doesn't mean run from sin. It means to change your mind, that you're fully willing to change your mind to walk away from that promotion, to give up your idea of what that next level of success might look like for you, to lay down all your dreams and desires and say, God, whatever my life counts for, it's gonna count for something because you put me there, not because I achieved anything, because you'll never become the person God created you to be if you're holding on to something that doesn't fit you. And you'll never walk in the blessing of God if you're holding on to something that blocks the blessing. So are you fully surrendered? What would happen to your life if you fully surrendered to him? What would your prayer time sound like now? What would your date nights with your spouse look like now? What would a quick trip to quick trip look like now? What about your relationships? What about your emotional health? What about your giving, your serving? What about your time? Would it be now spent making a difference in the life of the world around you? You may have surrendered your soul, but have you surrendered yourself? Today you can. Everybody close your eyes, bow your head. I'm gonna pray. And when I'm done praying, the prayer team, go ahead and come down to the front, please. As the prayer team gets ready, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And then after the prayer is done, the band is going to begin to sing one last song. And during that song, the altars will be open. And God, we say right now, we have played Christian long enough. I am surrendered to you completely today. I surrender to you with all my heart, mind, and soul. I give up my dreams. I give up my ideas. I give up my preconceptions. I give up my idea of what I think is success, and I just want to lay it all down. God, I even give you that sin, that addiction. I confess these things to you right now. God, may you open up the closets of my heart. Search me and know me and see if there be any wayward way in me. God, bring me back to the cross. I fully submit to you today. I fully give my life to you. I fully surrender. God, I don't want to live a lukewarm, half-hearted American Christian life that says, bless me when things are going well and take it into control when things aren't going well. I am a dead person dying daily, alive only in Christ because you've gone before me. You're driving the boat. You've equipped me. You've prepared me. And God, give me the boldness and the courage to dive head first into what you have for me because it's refreshing and it's real. And once I do, I'll never be the same. So God, in this moment, give every one of us boldness and courage to stand on the edge of this boat and jump in head first today because we'll never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. The altar's open. The band's gonna begin to sing. I say yes. Sing the song, come and respond. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. 
If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.